are listening live to the program. Your teams, your town, your program. It's unbelievable. It's just being able, all the text messages I was getting, um, just seeing, like, breaking news, and it was me. And so it was pretty, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was pretty special. And just all the, the, like I said, the support from family, friends. Um, it was, it was pretty special being able to just see the text messages from the guys. One of them being Patrick Mahomes was pretty cool. Off the bar, and Kansas State knocks off Kansas in Manhattan for the second straight year. I never see um, them storm the court at, at Allen Fieldhouse. I never see them storm the court at Duke and at North Carolina. And I, I don't believe there's any reason why, um, given time, and, and the opportunity that we can't build that kind of a program here in Manhattan, Kansas. And now, wondering, will the real Jayhawks please stand up? Seren Petro. Right you are, Kay. Right you are. Petro on the program on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Busy program for you today. Very diverse program coming to you from points all over the globe, or at least two locations here in America, Kansas City and Las Vegas, Nevada. Todd Lebo will join us shortly from Radio Row in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, we will talk uh, a lot of Chiefs football today. In fact, we will, uh, you know, break it down with Tim Grunhard, uh, football insider, life coach, Chiefs Hall of Famer, Sam McDowell, will be in the program today. Uh, we'll talk college basketball. Gary Parrish, our college basketball insider, and just whatever kind of madcap frivolities that Todd Lebo wants to provide today. Boy, that's a wide spectrum. Isn't it? In that regard. They're, they're really, there's, there's no knowing what Todd's going to come up with. What more do you people want? I say. I, I, I don't want, I just want to sit back and listen today. Okay. Sounds so exciting. I, I think I will. Radio Row in Las Vegas, Nevada is where we will be coming from. Uh, we start here in Kansas City today. We'll go out to Radio Row in Vegas. I'll be broadcasting there the rest of the week uh, from there. It's brought to you by the Low T Center. Fellas, do you know your numbers? Low T Center makes it quick and easy. Go to LowTCenter.com to get your levels checked today. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Also brought to you by Deep Pasquale Moore Injury Attorneys, Greenlight Dispensary, and Hollywood Casino. Uh, Seren Petro, Curtis Siebold, Adam Dravetta with you. And let's start with Seth. Said Jayhawks, Curtis. Um, or is it said Wildcats? Oh. Mm. Oh. I realized my throw was kind of uh, flying into the hands of what I hear a lot of Kansas fans say frequently when their team loses a game they weren't expected to lose. And I've already seen a couple of those today uh, in my Twitter feed. Um, well, that wasn't the real Jayhawks. So they were looking ahead to Baylor. It's, it's, it's whenever a team, and this isn't just a Kansas. The Jayhawks are the story when they win. They're the story when they lose. Yes, when they lose is because it wasn't really them. They they played down or something happened. Uh, the, it happens with all good teams. It's happened with the Chiefs. It's happened with any any good college team. Um, well, they were looking ahead, or they didn't play their game. There's an assumption if they played their game, they win, and that often I think overlooks the effort of the other team. Uh, I would agree, but I would also say that you know let down Central. Yeah. Two days after a giant game with the Houston Cougars when you were a dog at home, to answer that call and then to have to go play a rival speaks to how difficult this league is. I mean, no, no excuses uh, for the uh, for, for Kansas and not playing well. This is what this league is. And, yep. You know, K-State, we talked about, had three straight uh, you know, top 25 teams they had to play, two of them on the road. That's the Big 12. Uh, if you heard the interview Jerome Tang did with uh, Scott Van Pelt after the game last night, you know, he's like, that's what this league is. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you're going to see 
you know, tough opponent after tough opponent after tough opponent. So I think it's a great point. I also appreciate that he kept up the movie reference from yes, from what he said, what he talked about in post game on on Saturday. He kind of rolled that back around. So yeah, he did uh, a little diehard action. Yes. Uh, he didn't get into the bare feet, no shoes. No, he didn't do no shoes. I thought I was. Oh God, if he goes to that no shoes line, are we gonna sit here and cry about no shoes? Or are we gonna you know, get after it? Right? Yeah. Yep. Well, how did he put it? Bruce Willis could have felt sorry about himself. Yeah. No shoes. That's right. That's what it was. The whole movie, but he did. Why me? Yeah. Why me? Why yeah, me? Why me? <laughs> why me? That was that one. Was Bruce Willis could have been why me? No shoes. <laughs> he was spectacular, and again, a, a great. Uh, just a, a great, uh, advertisement for K-State basketball last night with Scott Van Pelt and, you know, getting in the stands with the, uh, students. And let's start there on this game, Curtis. No court storming. Yes. Now there was a preemptive. Act like you've been there before. There was a preemptive, uh, plea from one of the assistant coaches, and I can't think of who it was, when it, the final timeout, the final stoppage before the game was over, when it was apparent they were going to win. One of the assistant coaches looked, was looking across the court at the fans and saying, "We do not come out here. Do not come out on the court. And echoing what Jerome Tang said a year ago when they beat Kansas and Manhattan, we, we don't want to do this anymore. The next time this happens, we want this to be something we expect. We would expect to win. And the court was unstormed. And so uh, that was that, that was a good thing, I think. It shows signs that okay, this is what we do. We we Kansas comes here and and we win. Uh, K State coaching staff, the fun police. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the biggest wins as a Missouri fan, as a basketball fan, was when they beat Kansas in 2012. That crazy Marcus Denman game where he hit three threes in the final minute and they came from eight down. What I loved about that game was that they didn't storm the court. And Kim English, I remember him running from one end of the court to the other and saying, no, get back, get back. We don't do that. We, this is a game we're supposed to win. I love that as a Missouri fan, and I would think as a Kansas State fan, probably people like like that as well. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I think that is a great place to start. And the fans abided. Well, they did. It speaks to one that, you know, Coach Tang and his coaching staff are respected. Uh, the fans once reminded of that, and maybe they didn't even need that. Mm-hmm. Remember, that's right. This is what we do. We beat Kansas when you come to the Octagon and do. And, you know, he also, I, I thought it was of note that Jerome Tang was extraordinarily uh, complimentary of his fan base. You know, he's he's kind of gotten on the fan base early on when there weren't fans in the stands, you know, kind of calling out the fan base. And he was very complimentary on ESPN and, you know, Talking about uh, what a great environment and atmosphere that the fans brought, and and it is, man. When that place, when they're going, it, it, it's it's a fantastic environment. Yep. And I don't I don't know if the acoustics are such in that place that somehow it gets better, but it becomes an electric environment. What they did last night, though, I, I thought sometimes the team is the reaction to the environment. I think they caused the environment last night in, in one respect. We're thirty thirty at the half. And things are feeling pretty good if you're a K-State fan. You're locked in with your top rival. You're tied after 20 minutes. And then Kansas comes out and goes on an 11-0 run to start the second half. It's 41-30. They call a timeout with like 17-20 left to go. And that crowd was quiet. But Kansas State, the players fought their way back. Tyler Perry fought their, you know, started hitting shots. And I don't know what it is that makes him a second-half player. Uh, but but he, he certainly had it again last night. They went from 11 down and forced overtime and really had a chance to – had a four-point lead, probably should have won it in regulation, but nobody draws up 
a last-second basket out of a timeout better than Bill Self. Nobody ever has. You knew they'd get a great look, and they got a great look for a, a dunk. Um, and they went to OT. And I always fear that when a team, at least for K-State's perspective, when the team goes to over, game goes to overtime, the team that that scored last has the advantage because the other team, particularly the better team, because the other team had a chance to win it and didn't. Now we got to play five more minutes, and you're playing the better team. So I, that was, I thought, because at, at that time he's now eleven and zero, but Jerome Tang ten and zero in overtime, five last year and five this year. That this would be the ultimate test, and they came out and answered the call again. So I, I, I don't know if it's season-saving win, possibly. You certainly kind of maybe rearrange Absolutely. your sights on what K-State can, can, can do uh, after that win. It showed so many things that they have that are good. So uh, and, and from Kansas's perspective, you have to kind of look back at Saturday and think, because a lot of people were, I was hearing people, well, they turned it over 18 times. If they hadn't turned it over 18 times, how 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 many points would they have beaten Houston by? Yeah, they also shot 60, 68% from the field. You know, that, that's not going to – what parts are not likely to be repeated? Both of those. And last night they shot 41% from the field, and and Kansas State was able to, to, to get the win because of it. Uh, K-State from 3-9 of 26, shot volume. They put 26 three-pointers up. Kansas only puts 15 up, uh, only makes three. So uh, K-State, a respectable 35% yeah. from three, but not on fire. Oh, my God. That was, that was part of their it's game. Jerry McNamara in the first half. I mean, how are you going to defend that? Uh, just 20% for the Kansas Jayhawks. So. And then they gave it back with transition. Boy, some, just some bad turnovers with 21 to 8 on, on, on uh, points off turnovers. And there was one at the end caused to cause them to go to overtime, turned it over, and Tyler Perry kind of – if you thought the 10-second clock was going to run out, but he lost it, got it back, and then lost it again. And they had the ball inside of a minute, about a minute left with the four-point lead. And suddenly it was two, and they had to go to OT, but they got it done. Kansas's bench is, again, credited with 21 minutes. They only played 22 minutes against Houston, not getting anything No, off the bench. Two points, six rebounds uh, is all they get <laughs> off the bench. Uh, in this game, you know, and, and they're and they're beat on the boards bad again, forty three thirty three K State. What is it like that? That's the difference because when it comes to turnovers, KU had seven less turnovers. They only had nine. K State had sixteen. I mean, they got smacked on the boards, and they can't shoot threes. I mean, you need to be able to do. West Virginia for years has not been able to throw it in the ocean, but they attack the glass. Yes. Right, they turn you over. The KU got some turnovers in this, but they are soft when it comes to getting on the glass. I mean, listen, you know, KJ Adams is a fine player. I think if Kansas is at its best, if it's a national championship Kansas team, he's coming off the bench. He played forty three minutes as the four. Two rebounds. Two Rebounds. Two? Two rebounds. I mean, you know, like. You're basically I, Dickinson and nobody else. I know McCullough had six, but it wasn't him going up. Dickinson went to go up, going up and getting it. He wasn't coming back. No. And it, it's one shot only. And then, as we point out, they don't really shoot the ball well. So, who's going to get on the glass? <laughs> you know, I, I, I saw at times. 
there seemed to be a little bit of paralysis by analysis out of the Jayhawks in the sense that they were focused, they were really focused on getting a body on K-State guys. So much so that they were kind of forgetting about the ball. And I saw the side of KJ Adams a couple of times. I mean, KJ Adams looked a little bit like somebody had been like, you guys have to box out. Find a body. Let's get a body on a body. Let's get the rebounds. And they at times looked like they have been, you know, pounded with the fact that they're not rebounding, pounded with the fact that they got to box out. And at times they were looking for guys to box out and were not even looking at the ball when the ball was coming off the rim, which is, listen, I'm not, that, that that's part of the stages of growing and letting the game slow down while you play it the way you need to play it. But it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. You've got one of the biggest human beings in college basketball up front. He's doing his part and nobody else. Yeah. McCuller usually does his part, but I'll be honest. If KJ Adams is not, I, I'll say it again. I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not calling for a lineup change because El Marco Jackson. Yeah. I, I don't know what is going on there. I mean, I've never seen a guy. It, it, it is the Josh Selby comments are fair. They're a hundred percent fair. Because that's the last time I remember a guy coming in with some accolades. Selby came in with even more than El Marco Jackson, but you're just like, what are you doing out there? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't know what lineup change to make. I do think as you think roster construction moving forward, four out, one in, because you don't rebound well and he doesn't rebound well. And it was exacerbated by the fact that one of the players who's kind of been anointed as the savior somewhat of the, the new lineup, Johnny Furphy, hit two shots all night, two of seven from the field, zero of four from from three, uh, just four points in the night. That didn't help. You lose the game in overtime, and one of your best outside shooters doesn't hit a three. K.J. Adams is a fine player. He really is. I just think, we're, we're, are we going to grade Kansas like Kansas? You know the way the Chiefs get graded? The Chiefs are graded based upon winning a championship. Well, the offense sucks relative to what the Kansas City Chiefs are and have been and what the expectations are for them. Okay, yes, that is a fair statement to make, grading the Chiefs like the Chiefs. I want to be clear, K.J. Adams is a fine player, and it is not all K.J. Adams. K.J. Adams moves well within the offense. He seems to always get his double digits, so he is a part of getting points on one end, but somebody's got to help get on the glass. And he would seem to be the guy, since he's not running to the arc, to spot up and let one fly. Right. He's the guy that's got to bring the lunch pail and get to work on the glass. Yep. And it's just not there. They've always had a second guy to do that. And right now they've got one guy to do it. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it, it, listen, we've seen what they're capable of. They're capable of taking what Ken Palm says is the best team in the country and, and beating it soundly by double digits in their yes. building. That's what they're capable of. Uh, and, and to take nothing away from K State. This is a difficult spot to then go on the road against your rival. Now, it wasn't, it's not much travel. Uh, in some ways, I don't know, maybe it's worse because it's a bus the whole way as opposed to, I don't think so though, because it's such a short ride. But, <clears throat> you know, it, it was a tough spot. So this is, there should be no condemnation. In fact, you should have bet K-State, right? You should have been all over the cats because it was a total, K-State looked terrible against Oklahoma State, so whatever they're giving is based largely on how bad K-State looked against Oklahoma State. And KU's getting a kiss because they just look fantastic. So, you know, we had a buddy who texted us, KU by 30, and he's a Cat fan, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, I was like, which, which is a Missouri fan annoyed me because that's our job. Yeah. We're the fatalists. <laughs> 
you, you're the you're the little brother who doesn't get enough attention. We're the fatalists. So and, remember who we are. Yeah, and and you know, I'll be honest with you, I didn't get a bet in uh, last night, but as the I was like, why are you not all over K State? This was the classic letdown situation for the Jayhawks and bounce back situation for the Cats. And in some ways, I want to be clear. We, we pointed out they don't rebound well enough. They don't shoot well enough. These are absolute fundamental problems for the Kansas Jayhawks moving forward. But in some ways, going to overtime in this game was a hell of an accomplishment. Because like I said, K-State back against the wall, got to have it. KU let down big time coming off a giant performance against Houston. All the writing was on the wall for this game to go the way it did. And so in some ways, I will give Bill Self and his team a lot of credit for making it this close. You know, sure. can they be good? Sure. They've beaten Tennessee, Kentucky, UConn. They've got excellent wins on their resume, but we also know that they've, they're flawed. Mm-hmm. And for a flawed team to come out and, and put K-State up against it, a K-State team that's clearly well coached and has some athletes. I mean, there's, there's athletes. Bill Self even said it in post game, uh, said it at halftime, but it said it in post game as well. Well, they were the more athletic team. And he meant it in a way like, not like, well, we didn't recruit athletic guys. They were using their athleticism. They yeah. were explosive. Yes. They were bringing it. And I think that speaks to the nature of, you know, K-State coming off a dog with Oklahoma State and really having a fire in their belly. And Kansas like, oh, yeah, those guys blow. We're one of the – we're back in the top five. We'll roll the ball out and take this one. And yet they still took K-State all the way to overtime. I know Kansas fans are not content with that. Your expectation is to own and dominate the K-State Wildcats. Well, it's a new day. Jerome Tank can coach ball. Even when he loses one of his best players, he can coach a basketball team. And it's going to be a fight when you go into the Octagon of Doom. And so this game is not that bad for Kansas. And it's a continuation of a trend that I've been kind of watching since the first part of December. Um, unranked teams beating top 10 teams. I think it's the 35th t- time since December 1st that an unranked team beat a top 10 team. Last year in that same time frame, there were 19 and as Optistats noted last night, if you just go back 31 days, it's the 26th time an unranked team has beaten a top 10 team in the last 31 days. That's the most such wins in a 31-day span since the poll expanded to 25 teams in 1990. Wow. So if it's, oh, if it's the portal, there's a lot of things that are happening. But these uh, unranks over top 10s are happening at a clip we've not seen before. Yeah, I, I think the portal plays a part, and I think you're catching Kansas at the right time, as we mentioned, coming out from under the cloud of the NCAA investigation. Um, but, yeah, uh, uh, great game. I mean, not not great game from, like, it was a slop fest early, yeah. which which usually means a good game. defense. Teams hitting, hitting yeah. some big shots. There were a lot of moments where it yeah. looked like it was going to go one way and somebody hit a big shot or get a big stop. And entertaining game. Very entertaining. Game. Entertaining, and if this is what we're going to get in this rivalry with, with Bill Self and Jerome Tang, I love it. hey, count me in. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. But, um, yeah, I, I, I you know, th- th- this game should be a positive for sure with K-State and at least should not be a negative for Kansas with everything that went into it. Agreed. But the things that KU needs to work on are still the things that KU needs to work on. And they're yeah. still struggling yeah. to go five deep at times. And I have no problem with Furphy's game. I mean, you're going to have games like this. Yeah, you know, they're not sure. all going to be gems. But, you know, he's got to continue to grow. And they have got to find somebody on that bench. They just have to find somebody on that bench. And, you know, I they thought. Don't, they don't have to. <laughs> well. They, they, yeah. 
If they're going to they really if they're going to be yeah. Kansas, <laughs> right. if they're going to be what Kansas fans I, I, I expect, know what you meant. someone's going to have to emerge. Uh, last thing on this game is Jerome Tang selling hard on ESPN for the committee. Nine and nine in this league gets you in. That's our goal. Mm-hmm. He basically just put out there uh, twofold. One, I mean, eight and ten, seven and eleven in leagues have gotten teams in before. Yeah. So to to a degree, he's putting a lot of pressure on his team. To get there, you know, to, to get to that point. Currently at five and five. Yeah. He's, he's at five and five, but I, I thought one, uh, pretty impressive that he was, and I think everybody knows you want to be 500 and that's the safe spot. Uh, right now, Ken Palm projects him to go 18 and 13 and eight and 10 overall. So they just have to find one extra win, uh, along the way to get to nine and nine, but really putting the, the thought in the committee's mind, 500 in the best league in the country is a ticket puncher. Hear it now and deliver it on Selection Sunday. Mm-hmm. You're 500 in the Big 12, you better be in. And I, and I thought that was you know, an excellent uh, job of gamesmanship uh, from uh, from the coach. Just looking ahead, though, at BYU, a ranked team How tough. on Saturday. That's not – you don't want to party on this one too long. It's Ken, kinda... Ken Palm gives them a 13% chance of winning and has them losing by 12. Yeah. Yeah, so they got to get right back at it. So I think it's fortunate this game's Monday. They don't have they can have fun for a day and get back at it. I think you'd feel maybe a little more leery if they played on Wednesday and won this game. The Oklahoma State game still will loom large. Yep. Because if you're to try to find four wins at BYU, home for TCU, at Texas, home for BYU, two with BYU, home for West Virginia, damn well better get that, at Cincinnati, uh, away at Kansas, and home for Iowa State, you want to pick out your four? West Virginia is the gimme. What are the other three? I mean, I think the, the octagon of doom has got to do its its job. Yeah. TCU at home, BYU at home, Iowa State at home. If yeah. you can just handle the home games, yeah. you'll get there. The Okie State loss and the, T, the Texas Tech loss, those two are, are – But really the Okie State. Okie State is not good. No, yeah, but they but they were up. They're, yeah. They're just the, game, the way the game flowed, no way they should have lost that Tech game. Yeah. So they've got uh, more work to do, but they there at least is work to do. Because yep. after the Oklahoma State game and the way Kansas played, the expectation was there'd be another beatdown here, and we'd be talking nit. The NIT action for the Cats. Having to sweep in KC yeah. in March. They put themselves back in the mix. All right, let's take a break. You listen to the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB Super Bowl 58 right here on the home of the National Football League, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back here in the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sred Petro with you uh, as we talk some football. We talk to uh, one of the uh, uh, good guys, one of the best analysts uh, out there, uh, Solomon Wilcots. Uh, you hear him on Sirius XM, host of the opening drive. Uh, also is Believe in Bengals pod. Uh, you can uh, check out all things Bengals if we've got any displaced kitty fans uh, here in Kansas City. You can uh, catch up on all things Bengals there. Let's welcome Solomon Wilcots. Solomon, how are you, sir? Uh, couldn't be better, uh, but uh, look, no one's doing better than you are. You got the red hot Kansas City Chiefs. You guys are uh, sort of living in this golden period for for the Kansas City Chiefs franchise. Yeah, six uh, six AFC championships, uh, four Super Bowl appearances. The only two they didn't make, they lost in overtime. You know about one of them for sure. It was your Cincinnati Bengals uh, that, uh, that that beat the uh, Kansas City Chiefs in that one. But pretty close to going to seven, or excuse me, six uh, straight Super Bowls. Four is plenty. It's enough. It's impressive. I am curious. Let's start there. Uh, you played this yeah. game, Solomon. Uh, you, you analyzed this game. Like, as a guy who knows how hard it is to, to get to a Super Bowl, what does four Super Bowls in six years say to you? 
Yeah, I was just on a thread with a bunch of friends. These are all NFL guys, and we were talking about, you know, the, last, the Super Bowl I played in was Super Bowl 23. This is Super Bowl 58. 35 years ago, and you and I both know the, all the stories around the game and the enormity of the league and everything's grown around it. Once they kick it off, you and I both know the game is the same. It's full of pressure. It's full of accountability. These are the games that can elevate careers and break careers. I've seen guys screw up in these games and never to be heard from again. I've seen guys um, have great games at moments like this, and you and I both know it adds to their legend, right? They go on to get TV deals and um, all kind of branding deals. So to say that these games are this game is big, a Super Bowl game for the players, for the coaches, for their legacy, and the franchise, it, it literally means everything. Yeah, and, and when you see what Patrick Mahomes has accomplished, uh, well, you know, you watch one of the best, maybe, you know, the second best in the game today, a guy who looks like he's going to have a Hall of Fame career in Joe Burrow. When you see what Patrick Mahomes has been able to do, one, the durability of Patrick Mahomes because, you know, being a tough guy, Joe Burrow's a tough guy. Tough guys get hurt when they stand in there the way he does. He stands in there as, as, as strong and tough as anybody in the game. When you see how he's able to just keep coming at guys, uh, you know, how much does that break the, the will of a defender to see uh, Patrick Mahomes just keep coming? 96 consecutive starts. I mean, really, there's a couple of games where they may have held him out at the end of the season or something like that. The guy answers the bell. He's tough. Is anybody playing the position? Trust me. He does it in a different way. He elevates the position and the game and his team to a whole nother level. I think everyone in Kansas City knows that Patrick Mahomes is a force multiplier. Not only does he make his coach better, his teammates better, but he makes the town better. Living in Kansas City is better when you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. I remember his father after one game hugged him and said, I've never seen anything like you. This is coming from his dad who played Major League Baseball and hung out with guys like Jeter and A-Rod. So, so for his dad to make that kind of statement, that's a tremendous compliment. I think we all can make that same statement. Uh, Chiefs fans are really realizing this year that they've become the villains, like their team has become the villains. There are people saying, I'm tired of seeing the Chiefs in there all the time. They've really <laughs> kind of taken over the role of, of the New England Patriots here of late when you, when you have that much success. And, and I get it. I don't know if that, that all the fans do, but I even told them in 2018 when Patrick Mahomes burst onto the scene the way he did, listen, you can have a lot of success and enjoy everybody loving you right now because you're the new flavor. But it's going to get old real quick for people, and they're not going to be loving your team. And you're going to have to get used to people saying, hey, we don't want to see this team here. What what's, what what do Bengals fans, who have been really the, the best at knocking this team off, um, is certainly the only one really in the playoffs to get it done since Tom Brady stepped away. Uh, he's only lost to Joe Burrow and Tom Brady twice. Uh, what do Bengals fans look at the uh, Chiefs and think? I, I really think everyone feels the way that you just described it. You know, that this comes – you know, sort of the vitriol that you feel and everyone sort of going against you, that comes only only when you punch your ticket and becoming a dynasty. And let's face it, the Chiefs are in the midst of a dynastic period. And I would say the only people outside of Kansas City that are okay with it are the people who live in Cincinnati. You know why? Because we we're like, yeah, keep doing it until you play us. <laughs> because... You know, with Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes, I think they have a mutual respect for one another. And I do think 
Uh, the people in Kansas City and, and Cincinnati have a mutual respect. The cities are very similar in terms of size and the ease of life and sort of that Midwestern kind of way of going about how you treat your neighbor. I, I, you know, I do believe both towns are very similar in that form and fashion. And there's a great respect that you don't have to be from one of these big markets for your team to be dominant in the NFL. I think this is a long time coming for the Hunt family that we feel is one of the tried and true good families in the National Football League. His father, Lamar, was a great leader um, and real a real good friend to HBCU schools and the talent that came out of those schools. Clark has continued great tradition with this organization. So um, you can't be anything but happy for the Chiefs. And if you live in Cincinnati, you just look forward to more uh, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals, uh, Kansas City Chiefs rivalry and more games to come in the future. Uh, we're talking to Solomon Wilcox here, former Cincinnati Bengal, of course, played in the Super Bowl himself against the 49ers, a great Super Bowl, uh, host of the uh, opening drive on Sirius XM and also Believe in Bengals podcast. Oftentimes, these playoff games come down to who is the better quarterback, um, at least who's the better quarterback that day. Can Brock Purdy and the 49ers be better than Patrick Mahomes? Uh, can Purdy personally uh, outplay Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl? Well, there's no doubt if his defense helps, right? Because we call it complimentary football. When you hear coaches talking that way, they have taught players that that's really how you win games. So that means that the defense, he's going to have to get help from Nick Bosa. He's going to have to get help from Chase Young. They're going to have to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. And one thing about Patrick is he's not a big turnover quarterback. He doesn't turn it over a lot. So they're going to have to, Force maybe the uh, inordinary amount of turnovers from a quarterback who's great. So if he throws, he has two turnovers in the game, that levels the playing field and maybe puts Brock uh, Purdy on a short field and gives him the opportunity to outplay Mahomes. You see how that works? So I, he's not going to do it by himself. I just, I just think that Patrick Mahomes, I respect him too much to say, okay, number for number, play for play. But if the defense for the 49ers comes up with a play or two against uh, Patrick Mahomes, and then Purdy can avoid those critical mistakes against the Chiefs defense, then we're going to look up and say, oh, my goodness, can you believe Brock Purdy end up performing at a higher level in this game than Patrick Mahomes? That's kind of how it's going to have to unfold. And, and we've seen it happen in games. And so it really is about a more comprehensive style of play, I think, for the 49ers. But not just this head-to-head deal that Purdy's going to have better numbers across the board than a Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is too good, and I respect him way too much to, to offer that up. Um, we're talking to Solomon Wilcox here in the program. One more, uh, and then I want to talk about uh, something else. But uh, defensively, Steve Spagnolo, you, you played with you played for a great uh, defensive mind, Dick LeBeau. Uh, both of them kind of similar in the sense that they kind of cut their teeth as DB coaches, and you know, being able to disguise those coverages and do those things on the back end. Uh, Steve Spagnolo is again; he got a lot of acclaim when he helped beat the undefeated uh, New England Patriots team as the defensive coordinator for the Giants. But you know, his head coaching because he didn't have the quarterback position. You know, he had uh, banged up Sam uh, Bradford as a head coach with the Rams. But now coming back and watching the Chiefs really be fueled by his defense in this run, he's getting the acclaim I think he deserves. When you see Steve Spagnuolo and what he's done with this Chiefs defense, uh, what, what do you see? What, 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 what makes him so good? And it started last year, right, when they turned over 
Hadith is going very young in the secondary, but quickly getting really good results and high yield of production from a young secondary. And now they're playing even better, I think, in year two. Um, it, I think, you know, it starts with really good safeties like Mike Edwards and Justin Reed, Devin Bush, who came in uh, for Edwards uh, last week. And obviously the corners are phenomenal. I think Legereus Sneed is one of the best corners people don't talk about. Uh, this guy is really deserving of all-pro all uh, level of play. We all know about Chris Jones. He's the guy you hear about a lot, and rightfully so, because he's a dominant player on the interior part of this defense. I, I start with uh, the defense coordinator and Steve Spagnolo because I've told people he truly is one of the great defense coordinators the game has ever seen. You go back to the 2007 season, when the Patriots were trying to go undefeated in a Super Bowl against the Giants team, and the defense coordinator was Steve Spagnola. He's the guy that kept the Patriots from becoming the second team in the Super Bowl era to have a undefeated season. And all the guys in Miami are still popping champagne because of Steve Spagnolo. <laughs> and I thought that day was one of the great um, defensive game plans I had ever seen. Because with Randy Moss, Tom Brady and that offensive unit, it was going to be a monumental task to derail that offense and come away with a win. And Spags drew it up perfectly. He runs multiple coverages. He'll run split coverages. What I mean is cover one coverage on one side of the field, another coverage on the other side of the field. Typically, quarterbacks, they read single to uh, double high safety, and they think when they look to the right, they've got one, they've got one coverage. And so when they scan to go to that fourth or fifth progression to the other side of the field and they go to cut it loose, they get tricked and they, they're throwing it to something else. That's why you saw Lamar Jackson, just what we call burping the baby, like patting the baby who you're burping him because he just kept patting the ball, patting the ball. He didn't know what he was looking at, right? And to come away with four sacks against an elusive quarterback like Lamar Jackson, forcing him to hold on to the ball because he didn't know what he was looking at. He was unsure of the coverages the Chiefs were running. That speaks to the genius of not only Steve Spagnolo, but the high football IQ of his 11 defenders who can execute the plan on every single play. Yeah, it, it was a thing of beauty, no doubt about it. Uh, I mentioned we're talking to Solomon Wilcox from SiriusXM. Uh, Solomon, I know something that is important to you. Health, uh, you know, uh, being healthy. Uh, I know you're working with a company called Vericell, and we want to bring in uh, Kayla Young. She is a patient ambassador for Vericell. Uh, tell me, what, what is Vericell? And, and, and we'll talk to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kayla here in a second. But tell me why, why it's important for you to work with Vericell. Well, well first of all, Vericell has brought to market a, um, a procedure called Macy. Macy is a procedure to help repair cartilage damage in the knee in uh, patients from 18 to 55 years of age. Uh, it is a really phenomenal, um, innovative treatment that allows the doctor to use the patient's own cells to regrow cartilage. And, uh, and then when they go in to reinsert it, it adheres to the healthy tissue and to the bone. It keeps you from deteriorating to a point where you're rubbing bone on bone and eventually having to get a knee replacement surgery. Kayla is one of the patients that have had this procedure. She could talk to you more importantly on how successful and how just how innovative this treatment really is. Hey Kayla, how, how about it? I mean, you, you've been through this. What, what, what did it do for you? 
Yeah. So I had uh, my Macy procedure in January of 2018. So it's been about six years ago now. Um, the issue I was having was I was having frequent dislocations of my kneecap. So I actually started dislocating it when I was 12 years old playing soccer back in the day. Um, grew up and it started happening more and more frequently doing like all types of activity. Um, I had surgery back in high school to hopefully like stabilize my kneecap. Well, that was unsuccessful. And then I kind of learned to just live with it. Um, I had just graduated nursing school, was working as a nurse uh, full time, 12 hour shifts, long shifts on my feet all day. Um, when my knee really started bothering me again and I, people had noticed I was limping, you know, I was, I had just learned to live with my knee problems and learn to just compensate and avoid injury at that point. Um, so at that point I had reached out to a new surgeon and learned about the Macy procedure, learned at that time that I had cartilage damage. Um, so went forward with the Macy procedure and I haven't had a dislocation since. So it was definitely the right thing for me to do. and very happy that I did it. Wow. Wow. Okay. Solomon, again, what's the website if people want to try to get help? It's go to Macy.com, M-A-C-I.com to find a doctor in your area. Just find out more information, read up about the procedure. I think you'll be very impressed with what you find. And uh, this is a really wonderful, innovative treatment brought to the market by Veristel. Um Well, Kayla, thank you for that story. Solomon, before I let you go, i got to give you my final four. Uh, four quickies. Uh, just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. We'll start with this. Does T. Higgins get to free agency this year, yes or no? Not this year. The Bengals are not interested in making other teams better, but keeping themselves strong by keeping T. Higgins on the roster. Okay. How many Super Bowls does Patrick Mahomes win when his career is over? I think half a dozen, easy. That's the under. Oh, wow. Okay. How many does Joe Burrow win? I think we, if we said 10, I'll give him five, but let's just get one right now. Okay. We'll take one and count from there. And then finally, give me your prediction on the game. Who wins? Uh, Chiefs or Niners? What kind of score? What kind of game are you feeling? Kansas City Chiefs are going to win it again, man. They just beat the Niners in Super Bowl 54 just about, what, four years ago. Andy Reid's going to come up with another beautiful sort of innovative play like he did when he brought that play from uh, the University of Michigan that they used in the 1948 Rose Bowl. Remember when Damian Williams scored on a touchdown? He's got to give us some more flair, some more creativity, and uh, the Chiefs are going to win another one. This time the score is going to be a little bit closer and a little bit higher, 40 to 38 Chiefs. Uh, we'll, we'll take that for sure. That, that'll be one of the great ones, no doubt. Uh, listen, Kayla, thanks so much for your time. Solomon, appreciate your time. Everybody, Kayla, hopefully we will be enjoying the game, uh, to a very high level. And, and thanks for sharing your story with us. And Solomon, thanks for talking some football with us. Thanks for having us. Welcome back into the program. I'm Todd Lebo in Las Vegas. We're having fun down here on Radio Row. Super, Super Bowl 58, Chiefs and Niners coming up on Sunday. We're brought to you in part by Greenlight Dispensary. Check out their amazing flower power deals at up to 50% off at greenlightdispensary.com. And, Curtis, mm-hmm. uh, it's Super Bowl, but, my goodness, today, yesterday the news broke that Bobby Witt had agreed to a big contract with the Royals, and today they had the uh, press conference and stuff. I, don't, I mean, I was on the plane yesterday when you guys were talking about this. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you were pretty taken aback by the fact they actually got this done for this for this amount of money. Yeah, when you hear um, when you hear John Sherman talk about kind of the timeline, you look back and you're like, well, we're not, I guess we're not really surprised it happened now. But um, uh, what was amazing to me is is that. Um, you could. This is to me the only Royals-related event that could have been 
cleared for, you know, front page news during Chiefs Super Bowl week. This is the only guy yeah. that you would do it for. He is, hopefully, will at some point be whatever you can, close to you, as close as you can come to being the Patrick Mahomes of the Royals. He is that guy as far as star power and potential star power in the future. And uh, we, we said it was, this has to be one of the best weeks in the history of Kansas City sports, um, local, you know, pro- uh, professional sports in Kansas City. Your team's in the Super Bowl and a generational player is signed to a multi-year contract. It's Pretty good. Pretty cool. John Sherman, the owner of the Royals, had a, was at the press conference. We carried this live for you during the zone. He was asked what this means, what sort of message will this send the fans? We've been committed to winning for a long time, right? It's, there's, there's not a straight line between point A and point B, but I think at the end of the day, it's it's not, uh, it can't just be what you say. It has to be what you do. And so I would I would hope that uh, people would take from this and, and you know, the, the also the, this, this offseason that J.J. and his team have engineered or indicated of our commitment to, to winning, and we want to do something special for the fans of Kansas City. Now we've talked about this. I don't. I don't. This is transparent, not transparent, whatever. They have a vote coming up on April second as well. So listen, the way we heard from when they started talking about this a couple of years ago, fans were all like, "You better go try to win something. We're not just going to yeah. go vote yes on something if you're not trying." And they have done a lot of nice moves with some veteran players. This is the big move to sign Bobby Witt. Now we've talked about this a bunch for a couple of years. What is the time to sign Bobby Witt? Do you sign him now? Do you wait two years? Do you trade him? And what's the value? And so Bobby Witt was asked today. Why now? What is this the right time for him to make this commitment to Kansas City that they made to him? Just think now is just the perfect time. I'm just not only like sounds bad, but had a bad year last year. But then now just trying to build off that. Just what can we do to keep performing? And you saw all the moves that they made this offseason. It's just a, a sign of hope. And so it's just it just felt like this is the right time. And this is it's an exciting time for sure. Curtis, I'll tell you this. It's always the right time to sign an almost $300 million contract. Yeah, Am and, I right? And, and, and I, I think so. And one of the things, um, for him it would be, yes. One of the things is kind of the, the, the synergistic nature of this offseason for the Royals. J.J. Piccolo also said that one of the impact of the Witt signings is that everyone that they uh, talked to in the offseason said, hey, man, what about this Bobby Witt guy? So you've seen the fact that, they're signing these free agents was part of the reason Witt wanted to commit and part of the reason that free agents uh, are going to want to come to Kansas City in the future is because of Bobby Witt. So they, they kind of feed on each other, and you hopefully get this kind of centrifugal force thing uh, going. And um, it, it's just this circle that, that leads to success. I thought it was interesting listening to the comments from the three today, how much each one fuels the next thing and back and forth, how they kind of share that energy and pushing this frame this franchise forward. It was a long year for the Royals. They lost a lot of games. But everyone they've had on a Zoom or a press conference that I've gone to that's signed in this offseason, some of these veteran guys who are not the biggest splashes in the world, but they're, listen, they're guys, right? They're better mm-hmm. than what they had out there playing. They were all talking about they saw something in the Royals as opponents yeah. that, didn't, that didn't calculate through to make wins for them. So there's something there. It's not just, you know, we always say, squint, can you see it? Well, apparently a lot of baseball was squinting and they see something worthwhile because some of these guys, now listen, they're not coming for free, okay? But they're coming to play with the Royals and to play with people like Bobby Witt, young players. There are some good young players on this team. 
and now this really is a monstrous commitment. I mean, I, I we talked about what number would it take, how many years would it take. I, this is longer and for more money than I thought it would be, and it's the biggest statement the Royals have made about anything in a long time. Yep. I mean, it, it really, really is. So. And it's kind of, there's kind it's of be something to watch. stair steps there, like after seven years, of the the eight through 11 years are player options, and then there's three years of club options. If that goes through, it could just be seven years for 141, but even at that, is it's a, a massive uh, uh, commitment for the Royals and shows their fans and their fellow players that they're committed to winning um, long term in this city. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, it's a it's an interesting contract. I mean, it's what you have to do in these markets. You know, Patrick yes. Mahomes' contract was interesting. This one's interesting. You're, there's a way for smart people to figure it out and for everyone to make money. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. We'll hear more from from Bobby and John Sherman later in the show. But coming up next, Tim Grunhard, Grunny talks to Petro, and we'll be back down here at Radio Road throughout. Sam McDowell will be here in about an hour. We're having a good time on a crazy week in Kansas City. All right, how many times has a team played both number one seeds in the same postseason? Brought to you by Good Sense.